Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. For our listeners, this is the, um, in the United States, this is the Thanksgiving weekend. And so I wish you a uh, blessed Thanksgiving and hope that you have taken an opportunity to express your gratitude for all the good things in your life and in your family's life throughout the Jewish world. This Shabbat, we conclude our reading of Parashat Vayeshev, the parashah that begins in Genesis 37 and continues through Genesis 40, chapter 40, verse 23. And it uh, begins the uh, story arc of Joseph. We have concluded the stories of the patriarchs as the primary focus of biblical narrative, and now we're going to turn to the story of Jacob, who will continue to be our focus uh, through the end of the book of Genesis. So let me give you an overview of the parasha before I uh, invite you, invite our guest. Um, Jacob has settled in Hebron with his 12 sons, His favorite is identified as 17-year-old Joseph, whose brothers are jealous of the preferential treatment he receives from his father, such as the precious many-colored coat that you are aware of both from the text and from Broadway. Joseph relates to his brothers two of his dreams, which foretell that he is destined to rule over them, increasing their envy and hatred towards him. Simeon and Levi plot to kill him, but Reuven suggests that they throw him in a pit instead, intending to come back later and save him. While Joseph is in the pit, Judah has him sold to a band of passing Ishmaelites, and the brothers dip Joseph's special coat in the blood of a goat and show it to their father, leading him to believe that his youngest son was devoured by a wild beast. We have an interruption in this uh, narrative where we have the story of Judah and the story of Tamar, Um, but I want to continue with our discussion of Joseph. Joseph is sent, taken to Egypt and sold to Potiphar, the minister in charge of Pharaoh's slaughterhouses. God blesses everything he does, the text says, and soon he is made overseer of all of Potiphar's property. Potiphar's wife desires the handsome young man, and when Joseph rejects her advances, she tells her husband that the Hebrew slave tried to force herself onto him, her, and has him thrown in prison. Joseph gains the trust and admiration of his jailers who appoint him to a position of authority in the prison administration. The Torah portion then concludes with Joseph meeting Pharaoh's chief butler and baker, both of whom have been incarcerated for offending their royal master. Again, dreams enter into the parashah, 
and Joseph is asked to uh, interpret the dreams, and he tells them that the butler will be released and the baker hanged. Joseph asks the butler to intercede on his behalf with Pharaoh, and Joseph's predictions are fulfilled, but the butler forgets all about Joseph and does nothing for him as the parashah concludes. As this is the Thanksgiving weekend, my guest uh, this morning is from Canada and is in fact a Canadian. Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg is senior rabbi of Temple Israel in Ottawa. He was born in Montreal and grew up in Vancouver, as they would say. He's a glot kosher Canadian. And his, while his original career path was to become a medical doctor, and he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in uh, biopsychology at the University of British Columbia, but he wanted to refocus his life toward a different kind of healing, and he began rabbinic studies at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, the Reform Movement Seminary in Los Angeles, where he earned his rabbinic ordination in 2000. And eight. After ordination, Rabbi Michael Berg returned to Temple Shalom, his home congregation in Vancouver, as an assistant. And in 2011, he moved to Toronto to serve as an associate rabbi at Temple Sinai. In Toronto, he was at Temple Sinai for eight years until his move to Ottawa and Temple Israel. Rabbi Michael Berg, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garden, and I, I think we've started a new tradition. I, I happened to look back on my notes, and in fact, it was Thanksgiving last year that we uh, had a, a similar conversation, so it, it looks like I'm your Canadian representative to save you on Turkey Well, Day, yeah? I can't find a better Canadian representative <laughs> um, or a better representative to chat with about this story. Um, so I know that in our uh, preparation for this morning's show— you indicated that you wanted to begin by speaking about the dreams. Dreams play a central role in the parasha. Joseph is an interpreter of at least four dreams in the parasha. So why don't we begin there? How do you see the importance of dreams in this parasha? So look, I think an important first step is for us to differentiate the role between dreams in ancient days and dreams today. And I couldn't help but think as I was preparing for today that it was early on in the pandemic that there was the phenomenon that many of us were having wild dreams. And there was something about uh, being in lockdown and, and breaking from our routine that was eliciting all sorts of crazy journeys. That being said, I didn't hear of any of us attributing any terms of, uh, of prophecy or, uh, or great significance to that which we imagined. And that's different from the ancient days. As we look to the words of the ancient Near East, as we look to Torah, there was great weight um, that was attributed to the thoughts that we would encounter in our mind. And as we look to each of these dreams, we look to the symbolism of the, of the figures or the entities within we could learn about the figures themselves from, uh, from these dreams. We can even associate God's voice with this dream. And as you shared, 
our, our, our paradigm is shifting. Is that with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God would speak directly to them, but not so with Joseph. And yet God's hand is ever-present, but in more subtle ways, even in the dreams. And so these two stories uh, that happen early in the uh, text hold, hold great significance, um, because not only are they looked to as, as, uh, as thoughts of the uh, key figure, but they're actually looked to as prophecy of sort, of, uh, of the role that God will play. So what's interesting about dreams is, of course, in the 20th century, our friend Sigmund Freud introduced dream interpretation to the secular world. But dream interpretation, as uh, Freud introduced it, is almost always about the past, where dreams in this week's parasha are always about the future. And is it true, as you see it, that in the biblical text, uh, dreams are primarily a reflection of uh, the means by which God communicates to individuals about the future? So this is a key question with, with these dreams. Now, we have the luxury of knowing how the story will continue. And we have the luxury of, of knowing that, in fact, these, uh, these dreams will come to fruition um, in, in a host of ways. And so it's difficult for us to uh, imagine the dreams in their original setting, sort of not knowing what, what, what future days would hold. A core question is, what is destined? And how are, is free will exhibited, as in how do we take charge um, of, our, of our own lives? And as we look to these words, we struggle with the notion of free will. Because as we look to these words, the first dream is going to talk um, about each of the brothers uh, holding a, a sheath of wheat and having uh, Joseph's sheet of, sh- sheath of wheat end up uh, becoming taller and, and, and mightier than the others that all end up bowing down to the one that belonged to, uh, to Joseph. And it points to uh, perhaps a, 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 a power struggle and that Joseph is prophesying that he's going to end up in a place where he's going to be mightier, stronger than, uh, than, his, than his brothers. And in fact, they're going to come to him in, in, in desperate need. Now, again, we know that that is where the story is going to go, that he is going to become a royal figure in Egypt, and that in a time of hunger and drought, his brothers are going to go and beg for food and water. But let's imagine sharing these words at the onset. First of all, does it mean that this is destined to occur? Does one simply wait and, and, and these things will, will happen no matter what? Never mind the fact. How did, would it, what position does it put his brothers in to share this story? We have to imagine that Joseph should have had, we say the sechel, Joseph should have had the, the wisdom to know that no good would have come of sharing these dreams. But what, what was the purpose of taunting his brothers um, in this way? Which doesn't justify their, um, the, the violence that they would later turn to, 
but it certainly leads us to, uh, to to question what was Joseph uh, what was Joseph thinking by sharing these uh, by sharing these words, perhaps implying, ha ha, uh, we might all be on equal footing now, but you just wait uh, until future days. So it's interesting the narrative as you suggested places the younger child as um, indicating that he will rule over the elder. Now, that does transpire in uh, the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the younger child, and he uh, becomes the uh, inheritor of the covenant And in Abraham's life as well, Ishmael is the firstborn, and Isaac in that uh, family constellation is the secondborn, but he becomes the uh, guardian of the covenant. Um, So the motif seems to continue, but as you've indicated, the motif changes. It no longer is simply um, a reflection of uh, a straight narrative discussion. Um, You know, um, Esau sells his birthright, and Ishmael is um, the child of a uh, concubine, Uh, but Abraham certainly sees Ishmael as his firstborn. Um, so do you have a, any sense of how and why the Torah wants to use dreams as the focus of their narrative rather than some other literary uh, device? Yes, I have to admit, I, I, I'm less comfortable with looking to the dreams as, a, as being prophetic and, and looking at them as a sense of, of telling the future, certainly in terms of how we look to dreams um, in today's setting. I'm much more comfortable looking to the dreams as a literary tool um, to explore various themes, perhaps various struggles, and and to tell what it what is difficult to share in literal words and perhaps easier to imagine to uh, to convey as we uh, as we explore these these, these metaphors. Um, look, certainly by this point in the in Genesis, it feels like every week we're talking about sibling uh, we're, we're talking about sibling rivalry. And you talked about a number of the famous examples. Of, of course, it was Cain and Abel before even those stories. Sure. And so here we here we are again with the siblings not getting along with one another. Here we are again, recognizing the messiness of, uh, uh, of relationships and how we like things to be in a precise order, perhaps not in the order of the ancient Near East where men were favored, where the oldest were favored. Um, and and, and where we need, as we look to these words, as we recognize the, the messiness I actually often find that beneath the the, the surface, amidst the, the raw details, we're able to um, we're able to explore reality and and actually reality right to today. Um, and and so two more things that we struggle with that are present in these dreams: power. 
But in, in both of Joseph's dreams, I mentioned the first one and the second one, um, the moon and the sun and the stars are, you know, all going to bow down to, uh, all going to bow down to Joseph. And we, we note one ruling over many. That's not a phenomenon just of the past. And what an important theme to explore. Um, how do we find our voices when we are not that one? Um, what does it say about our society when, uh, when all are not listened to? And as much as Joseph shares this story, perhaps to laud his own strength, it, it, it speaks to the order of the society and, and, or the lack thereof and, and, and demands more compassion, um, demands um, more inclusion. Look, we also witness in both of these dreams um, the pain of uh, a favorite. Um, of hierarchies. And it reminds us, and a phenomenon very present today too, that it's important that we work towards equality. Um, we work towards taking down these, 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 um, these walls that, uh, that give one more power or strength um, than the other. Perhaps it's as we witness these dreams, that perhaps it's as we get our back up and, and, and struggle with them, that they, uh, that they push us to um, to facilitate a different way for society. I mean, I think that's a beautiful interpretation, which is rarely spoken about. Um, Joseph is the outsider, um, and we think and we identify Joseph um, as the dreamer and as the favorite. But, of course, he is, of the 12 children, the uh, youngest child and the um, uh, child of Rachel, um, where the majority of children in the family are the child of Leah or of uh, concubines. I think I'm correct in saying he's the only child of Rachel. Um, and so he really is the outsider, not simply because he's the youngest, but um, his mother, who is uh, um, Jacob's favorite, um, only produces, um, gives birth to one child. So your notion of exclusion um, in this uh, circumstance is, of course, um, quite uh correct he's not just favored um but his birth order and his birth mother and then if we take your idea further when he is in um egypt he's identified as being falsely accused um and once again he is that uh, eternal outsider um, it's almost as if the Torah portion is uh, predicting the eternal role of the Jewish people. They will be the outsiders. And, and, and let's play on that outsider motif um, for a few moments. So the, this narrative, uh, there are many narratives that are like a soap opera, but this narrative in particular plays out like a soap opera. <laughs> 
and it takes twists and turns and uh and and you think that uh Joseph has met his end and in fact he's going to reach to the top and it, it it's truly quite extraordinary in nature um to 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 witness in effect Joseph going from the pit to, as we know will 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 rise to a a level of great leadership and so if we're thinking about this notion of outsider but also thinking about this notion of what is possible and perhaps the dreams being a tool to uh to help the dreamer uh be ambitious um reach for the sky and maybe even maintain one's faith i often like to ask what would it be like to be such a figure and if we imagine various points in joseph's life it would have been terrible i hope none of us could imagine what it would be like to be thrown into a pit and left to die. Uh and and yet Joseph is going to emerge. And not only is he going to emerge, he's going to emerge with strength um and 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 with care uh to a place that he never could have imagined. And how did he get there? So if we look to our midrash, if we look to our commentary, um our tradition shares that it was Joseph's internal strength um it was joseph's um adherence to uh to faith and his commitment um that better days lie ahead that would help to uh promote him and to push him forward in in various ways and one of the things we read that after joseph is sold into slavery the text describes the eternal was with joseph and as our commentators like to do they often question what does that phrase mean the eternal was with joseph wouldn't the eternal always have been with joseph why imply such a like what why say that directly and what the midrash and why at that point exactly and and what the midrash explains is that the phrase implies that joseph did not receive special attention from god rather he um cultivated his own consciousness of god's presence and that he had a system by which he continuously repeated god's name to himself and regularly invoked god's love of an involvement and joseph trained himself to perceive the miraculous in the ordinary to experience wonder in the mundane and perhaps foretell inevitable directions and so how interesting here to note that perhaps it's not so much the dreams as much as joseph is a dreamer and that joseph is able to see what others do not and uh and to reimagine um what is possible when it seems seemingly impossible which of course continues that um interesting motif of his father jacob as a two-time dreamer and that in the dreams that his father shares in the text he too is transformed more than what the dreams will be interpreted to mean the dreams transform him um and he uh, not only takes a new name but through the dreams uh finds a path to the um expression of covenantal commitment um which is really um as you suggest about Joseph more about his internal 
workings rather than the external interpretation of it that the uh, Torah places on it. Which begs an interesting question. I, I hope nobody is uh, listening to my words and suggesting that I that that, that they become um, soothsayers that they uh, that they look to their dreams to uh, to imagine what will be. That is not what I'm uh, implying. But to look to Joseph as a dreamer and to appreciate his sensitivity, his reflective nature, his ambition, his faith. These are all tools that can get us through difficult times too. And while none of us, I hope, have been thrown into a pit, it has certainly felt like we've been locked down in, 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 in different ways in the darkness. And we can look to Joseph's words to, um, to imagine a better time. And I suppose we can look to that phrase that you've quoted, the eternal was with him, as um, not in the theological sense of salvation, but as um, an expression of uh, internal faith. Whether faith in oneself, faith in Correct. humanity, um, faith in beyond. Um, I want to thank you for those words, but in the few minutes that are left to us, I want to uh, ask you about the story of Tamar which sits in the middle of this narrative of Joseph and his brothers. Uh, for our listeners, um, Judah marries and has three children. The eldest heir dies young and childless, and his wife Tamar is given in Leverite marriage to the second son, Onan. Onan sins by spilling his seed, which many of us know about, and he too meets an early death. Um, and so, uh, determined to have a child from Judah's family, Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and um, seduces Judah, who would be her father-in-law. Um, and the episode goes on. I'm not going to describe it all. But eventually, um, Judah produces through Tamar twins. Um, and... It's an episode that sits, as I suggest, in the middle of the Joseph narrative. And in the few minutes available, I'm just wondering if you have an insight about this episode. Look, it's another one of these episodes that if we were doing, what did they call it? The, the Real Housewives of, uh, of um, the, the Ancient Near East, <laughs> that perhaps uh, this episode would be, um, would be front and center and that it... It, on the surface, is quite shocking, and um, and and takes us in directions that are um, that are surprising. Never mind the fact why here, sort of why is the Joseph story interrupted in this way? I I, I tend to focus on the themes um, that are present and that are ever present. Uh, uh, the first theme that comes to mind is responsibility towards our family members, and uh, as we look to uh, Tamara, we realize the place of desperation, and we recognize. That her family members are are, are not are, are not standing up to the are, are not recognizing their responsibilities to her, and it's upsetting to uh, to see her in this place of desperation. We're also um, reminded of the importance of opening our eyes wide towards what we see, but just as important towards what are we blind to. And it's so interesting that uh, the figures within 
didn't recognize uh, the true identity of who Tamar was, or did they simply not choose to recognize? Um, later on, Joseph will, in fact, be pretending to be somebody who he isn't, and the brothers also will and of not course, recognize. Isaac is portrayed as his sight is dimmed. Right. And if we want to go backwards, Isaac also had an episode where where, where, where right. he was blind to the to the son before him. And each of these episodes pushes us. Sometimes we walk around like we are like we're in a dream. I mean that in a different sense. Sometimes we walk around like we're asleep and that we're uh, and that we're we're not um, open to that which is obvious and to that which we should seemingly be ready to see. Um, and so as I look to this shocking narrative. It, it, it really pushes us to make sure that we are present um, in the full sense to our responsibilities, to the people before our eyes, to, uh, to our call to, um, to walk a holy path. I want to thank you for um, offering a quick uh, opinion to that and a quick, <laughs> wonderful thought, some thoughtful insights. My guest this morning on Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts has been Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg of Temple Israel, Ottawa. I want to thank him for participating. Uh, you can hear a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing again to our American listeners happy Thanksgiving and to all shalom and a good day. Shalom.